Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Economist. From London, this is The Economist. My name is Fiamme Tarocco, and I'm the books and arts editor at The Economist. Thoughts about punctuation arose this week when we heard of the death of Ray Tomlinson, who revolutionised communication by inventing the use of the at sign in emails. With me today is Lane Green, who writes our Johnson column on language, and who, out of respect to Tomlinson, has written his latest column on punctuation. I'm always amazed how punctuation really gets people's blood boiling. Why is this? Yeah, you're right about that blood boiling. As you know, the book Eat, Shoots and Leaves by Lynn Truss sold in the millions, this funny little book on punctuation. And Truss has said that it surprised even her, but it seems that people are incredibly passionate about it. And I think that the reason is that people feel like it brings order to language. It, it tells you when a sentence ends or when a significant division comes or who's saying what with inverted commas and so forth. And so I think people have the idea that without punctuation, sentences kind of would fall apart like a body without a skeleton or something. Will you say people are passionate about punctuation, but they haven't always cared so much about it. So when did punctuation becomes such a big deal. It's really surprising how recent our, our punctuation system settled down. And so just 150 years ago, The Economist, when it was first founded in 1843, about 170 years ago, was punctuated quite differently, especially in the use of commas, than it is today. So it's kind of a 20th century phenomenon, the idea that punctuation is to be used one and only one way in a very exacting kind of way. And almost as soon as the system settled, it was then upended again by the rise of electronic communication. And so all these changes to the system like the at symbol. So do you think that people are right then to think that once you start start punctuating badly, language starts to collapse. Well, I think there are a couple good reasons to think that this is a bit overdone. One is that we don't punctuate when we talk, and everyone can listen to this podcast and understand what we're saying without the use of periods and inverted commas. That's partly because intonation and tone of voice and rhythm do some of the work in speech that punctuation does in writing. But even when writing is badly punctuated, like when you see the sort of tomatoes for sale sign with an apostrophe that shouldn't be there in tomatoes, people aren't confused. They don't think that something belonging to a tomato is for sale. They know exactly what's going on. And finally, as I mentioned, that system has changed so much more over the years than people actually realize. And yet our ability to read texts that are 200, 300, even 500 years old is not compromised by the fact that the punctuation is quite different, even if it's a little bit slower and a little bit trickier. Really? So tell us a little bit more about the ways in which it's been more fluid, perhaps, than people think? Well, before the rise of written English, our main texts are the, the ancient Greek and Latin texts that we know from the classics, and they were written with mostly with no punctuation whatsoever. In fact, there weren't even spaces, nor were there a distinction between uh, capital and lowercase letters. It was just a bunch of capital letters crammed together almost all of the time. When people started writing in English, they used a host of old symbols that are now completely obsolete, things that I learned about researching the column called the diplay and the trigon and the diastole, uh, symbols that have completely disappeared. 
it was the rise of printing that started to settle the system and we started to use question marks and commas and full stops a little bit more consistently. But even then, printing starts around the late 1400s. And yet, as I mentioned, 400 years later, mid-19th century, we're still using commas in a way that in today's English would be not just heavy or awkward, but often ungrammatical. So the system really settles down around in the late 19th century. I think people think that it had a lot more deeper, older roots than it really does. You wrote recently about why people feel so strongly about spelling. Is there some of that same feeling about punctuation, perhaps, that something that is difficult to learn as a child becomes something that we don't want to give up when we become adults? Yeah, I think there's a lot to that. We are attached to the things that we learn as children, even when they're slightly arbitrary. And in that column about French spelling, I made the analogy to... Pluto's status as a planet. All of us learned that Pluto was a planet when we were in school. And now that it's not a planet, people feel almost personally hurt that something, a cherished memory, even though they cared probably little for Pluto itself, was somehow taken away from them. But another analogy that I like is that really difficult experiences become kind of bonding, informative experiences. And I kind of compare it sometimes half-jokingly, half-seriously to things like fraternity hazing in in the American fraternities where you're made to run around naked or do tons of push-ups or drink beer until you vomit. These unpleasant experiences are meant also as a binding experience to the community. Once you've survived them, you've gone through that same horrible experience that all the other older brothers or sisters did. And by doing that, you join the community. You join a kind of brotherhood who's had that same hard experience. And so learning things like how to use the French circumflex properly or or how to use a punctuation properly also binds you to a community. In this case, the community of people who care about the proper use of the language. And it's something that people, therefore, feel very strongly about it becomes a strong part of their identity. So does this also apply to the internet? I think it does. People certainly have kind of tribal identities on the internet. And so a lot of this punctuation style that we're talking about applies to teenagers, the ones who are really fluid and do things much differently than sort of standard punctuation. It signals a membership in a group. And so teenagers punctuate like each other and they try not to punctuate the same way that their parents do, partly because it shows that they're teenagers. And it's the same reason they use slang that their parents don't use. And when their parents start using it, they have to come up with new slang. There's nothing worse than your parents adopting your uh, your ways of doing it. So you have to move on. And I think that the internet has really sped up that cycle of change so that people can always distinguish themselves by doing things just a bit differently. So what would happen if we embraced a sort of punctuate how you feel style? I mean, would that be scary? Would it be dangerous? I'm not scared about the fluidity of kind of punctuating as you feel in all these informal channels that have risen in the last 20 years. First email and then the text message and now instant messaging and Snapchat and WhatsApp and all these other quick ways we have of communicating. But I think there's something to be said for a nice, stable system that doesn't change too quickly when we do formal writing. I don't think anyone is planning on changing how we write The Economist to an unpunctuated, uncapitalized style. And I think that's right. Our readers wouldn't like it. There is something to be said for a bit of continuity. Uh, People who like the way The Economist is punctuated would not approve if we started writing it in the style of a text message. And I think it's, uh, it's rightly so. That was Lane Green, our Johnson columnist talking to me today about the shifting history of punctuation and why people care about it so much. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.